Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for October 13th, 2017. On today's show, we'll take a look at another Stephen King adaptation. The Addams Family is going to get an animated movie, the first TV show to be screened in 40X format, a Settlers of a Catan movie, Gambit gets a release date, Martin Scorsese takes on Rotten Tomatoes, and Kevin Feige considers the idea of a Marvel-only convention. And in the mailbag... We'll be discussing some of the emails reactions we got on our spoiler discussion because people just can't talk, uh, can't stop talking about this spoiler discussion. Uh, I'm Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Y Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Um, so, guys, let's jump into the news because we got we got a packed show today. We're doing this in the morning. We usually do this in the afternoon. I was uh, away yesterday on a set visit, which I cannot talk about. Uh, mysterious. Not so, and, and no, nothing big, guys. Nothing big. But uh, anyways, uh, let's get into this. While I was away, one thing that was announced was the movie Gambit got a new release date. It had been taken off the calendar. Uh, is now back on the calendar. It's now set for 2019. Chris, you wrote this up for Slash Home. What do we know? Right. So Gambit has been kicking around for a while now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Since at least like 2007, they've been planning a spinoff ever since they made uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, where uh, Taylor Kitsch played the character in that film. So the plan was then, even then, to just spin off Gambit into his own movie, and it just kept running into problems. And eventually they recast Channing Tatum in the role. And uh, it's gone through several directors. Um, uh, but recently, uh, Gore Verbinski was announced as in talks. And while Gore Verbinski hasn't been confirmed yet, a new release date has been confirmed. And that's February 14th, 2019. So uh, Valentine's Day, for some reason, is when Gambit is now going to come out. And uh, it was originally supposed to come out October of 2016, so there's always a chance they'll change it again. But for now, uh, 2019 is the planned release date. Hmm. Is do you th- do you think HT? Do you think Gambit is a movie for Valentine's Day? Is that is that counter programming or is that for that audience? 
I definitely don't think it's for the audience. I'm very confused by this release date, but I wonder if uh, 20th Century Fox is just out of places to slate this film. So the only free spot they had left was Valentine's Day 2019. Um, and they may also be putting it far in the future just because, well, a little far in the future, just because this movie has run into so many problems. So they want to have some more buffer room. Uh, February is also kind of a dead time for movies. It's that January, February graveyard uh, time of release dates where a lot of movies get dumped. So it doesn't quite bode well for Gambit. Yeah, at least if you if it was in March, it might have a chance because you know there's that that Zack Snyder date that he made famous that had you know some good stuff in the middle middle of March, but uh, February is usually yeah a dumping ground for films. So I'm not sure if that shows any uh, faith in that adaptation. Um, the Adams Family uh, is getting another adaptation this time in the form of an animated movie from. The Sausage Party director, H.T., what do we know? Yes, so The Addams Family is getting reanimated, you might even say, because it has been an animated film or animated series before. It was first an animated series in 1973 and then again in 1992. So uh, Conrad... Vernon, who was a co-director for Sausage Party and has worked on films like Shrek 2 and Monsters vs. Aliens, will be helming this animated feature film for MGM. Uh, That's all we really know about this film. It's supposedly a reboot of the cartoon version of The Addams Family. So it will draw in probably some of the satirical, uh, witty moments of the 1990s uh, film starring Angelica Houston and Christina Ritchie and probably some of the uh, macabre tones of the 1960s television series. But I feel like it will probably be, probably be more family oriented despite the Sausage, Sausage Party director uh, helming this because uh, fam- the Adams Family is still a somewhat family friendly uh, property. Oh, for sure. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people think Sausage Party was directed by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. It's kind of like one of those films like, you know, like The Corpse Bride. A lot of people think Tim Burton was the one that directed that when it was really uh, Henry Selnick, I believe. Um, uh, I don't know. I think The Addams Family will shine in an animated movie. I think this is the perfect property to to bring to that medium. Um, In a way, even the live-action medium kind of like had restraints for it uh in those 1990s movies which i enjoyed uh so i i'm interested to see it um also in the news uh there is this uh movie theater format called 40x we've talked about it previously on uh the slash film cast i have been lucky it's lucky the word i don't know no lucky is not the word i I have uh (laughs) seen two movies in 40x that being uh transformers uh four whatever the name of it was and san andreas um and both were not great movie experiences what 40x is is basically a theater where you get on this gigantic uh moving chair that moves around during the movie almost like a theme park ride and there's effects like fog rain water there's things that touch your legs there's things that come into your back and you know it's just like a fully immersive experiment experience it takes a movie and makes it into a theme park ride which um 
which I'm not totally cynical against. It could be a fun experience for like a horror movie or something like that. Um, but for the two movies I saw, it was a little much. And especially for a Transformers movie that's like pushing two and a half hours, it's you feel like a rag doll by the end of it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so, anyways, that is a long uh, intro to to give it to Chris, who has news of the first TV show that is going to be screened in 4DX theaters nationwide. Chris, what do we know? Right, so uh, the El Rey Network has this, uh, I guess it's a reality show called Lucha Underground about wrestling, and this will be the first TV show ever screened in the 4DX format. Uh, it's going to be on October 17th, and it's it's, an, it's a private event for media and fans, so I'm not really sure how anyone goes about attending this, but uh, yeah, this will be the first TV show. It's going to be this, the season finale of season three of the show will be screened in this format. Um, there's not really a lot of details about what will happen exactly in this format for this show, but uh, yeah, like you said, it has all those effects. It tech to, you know, I've never experienced it. I don't know if I, I, I don't think ever you'd want like to. It. I don't think you'd <laughs> yeah. like it. I mean, yeah, I get annoyed when I'm at the movies and someone opens candy too loud next to me. So I imagine, like, if I'm in a theater and the seats are shaking around, I would probably just want to leave. So I, but that's me. I mean, you know, maybe maybe someone would enjoy this. I, again, I don't know how it would work for this TV show, but I guess that remains to be seen. You know, I'll, I'll say this about it. I actually think there could be good movies. There could be a function for this. Uh, there are you know, moments where they can blow air at your like legs and that would be cool in a horror movie. And there's, you know, uh, your sh- seat can shake like, like rumble a little bit and that could be cool in uh, certain scenes. The problem with 40 X is they charge like, I want to say like 40 bucks a ticket or something oh like goodness. that. It's insane. Insane amount because it's 3d and you know, it's all this technology. Uh, and because of that, I think they feel – I don't think the filmmakers are probably involved in this. I think they probably program this completely themselves. And I think they feel like, oh, these this audience is paying for this. So we need to give them as many effects as possibly can. So like almost every scene, it's like jam-packed with you know things going on that become more distracting than complementary to the uh, – to the stuff, but I'm wondering Lucha uh, Lucha Underground. I have not really watched the show, but I think it's a pro wrestling show. It's not like a, a dramatic series. I don't think it just like is a pro wrestling. So what's going to happen? Like someone body slams someone, and like your seat shakes. Maybe you get sweat that gets <laughs> um, thrown your way into your face or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm imagining, something like that, which, yeah, I don't know. The, the worst part is you're wearing 3D glasses, and then, like, the you know, the rain comes from the seats in front of you, and it just, like, smears up your glasses, and then you can't see the movie. It, it's just a, it's just not a good experience. Uh, the sad part is we did a review for this on Slash Film. Uh, Jermaine Lucier uh, wrote it, uh, and at uh, CinemaCon, which is the movie theater convention, they still use his quote, like the best quote that he had in his article about it, like in promoting 4DX. <laughs> um, yes. But anyways, um, moving on. Uh, they're going to be making a Settlers of Catan movie. If you don't know, Settlers of Catan is a board game. I'm a board game uh, geek. And uh, it's probably like the, the birth of modern Euro games. You're... You're, uh, you have these farms, you're trading sheep, you're, 
don't know. It's it, it's uh, it's not like an action packed game, and it's not something I would have thought that Hollywood would want to turn into a movie because there's not a lot there. Um, but it does have name recognition. This is, uh, you know, next to Monopoly and Ticket to Ride. This is like one of the highest name brand board games out there. You know, millions and millions and millions of people have Settlers of Catan board games. Like, this is like a big thing. Uh, what we know is that producer Gail Katz has teamed up with Dan Lynn and Jonathan Irich uh, to realize the project. Uh, Blaze Hemingway who is a person I know. He's a screenwriter. Uh, but I don't know anything about this project. He he has upcoming credits on Ugly Dolls and uh, the Playmobil movie. He worked at Disney for many years and had his hands all over all the Disney movies you saw in the late 2000s, I think. Or no, early 2015s. Uh, and um, he was hired to, to write the screenplay. No directors attached. Uh, we don't know anything about it. Uh, we assume that it's going to be a serious take or it's not clear if it's a serious take or if it's a comedy like you know lego movie style i would assume since blades has done mostly animated films i would assume that this is going to be an animated film and i'm assuming it's going to be a comedy because he's more of a comedy guy uh knowing him uh but i don't know settlers of Catan does not ring itself as you know something i want to see on the big screen uh in a movie theater uh maybe I don't know. I, I always envisioned if they were going to make a Settlers Catan anything, a TV show would be the way to go because you could you could do a drawn out uh, TV show about you know the first settlers of this of this place and you know the troubles that that is. But I'm not sure. Do either of you have thoughts on a Settlers of Catan movie? So I've only played Settlers of Catan once, and I think I played it wrong because my friends and I kept collaborating and decided that we weren't great at competing <laughs> with each other. We kept trying to help each other out. <laughs> so didn't, we didn't exactly play it correctly. But yeah, it seems like a very expansive and um, kind of vague storyline that you can explore with this. More, It seems more about world building, literally, than um, having any sort of plot uh specific to the game. So I think your idea of a TV show works really well. Um, maybe they'll turn it to like a Game of Thrones style movie. I don't know. That seems like what they're kind of trying to do, trying to go for. Uh, Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall wrote an article about this on Slash Film and he disagrees. He actually thinks that it could be cinematic. So if you want to read that take, go to SlashFilm.com. It's up there. Um, also in the news, uh, a new Stephen King adaptation is in the works because the King Assance is in full effect. Chris, tell us about it. Right. So this is an adaptation of a book King wrote in the 80s with uh, he co-wrote it with Peter Straub called The Talisman. And it's this has been in development pretty much ever since it came out. Uh, when the book first came out, out, Steven Spielberg bought the rights to it. And he originally wanted to turn it into a movie, and he just could never get the script to where it wanted to be. What What is then, the story? Um, it's not really like a horror sort of thing, like King's other work. This is more like a fantasy sort of story. It's about this boy, and his mother is dying of cancer, and so he sets off on this quest to basically find this sort of like magical crystal that will heal her. And along the way, he ends up in, in another dimension, 
and it's, it sort of ties into a lot of the uh, the Dark Tower books too. There's a lot of stuff in this that also shows up in the Dark Tower novels. And so, yes, Steven Spielberg wanted to make it a movie. He couldn't get it to work. So then they were going to turn it into a miniseries, and then that never happened. And for a while, Frank Marshall was supposed to direct it, and then he just never got off the ground. So now Josh Boone is attached to write it. Um, There's no official director yet, but they're saying he might direct it as well. And this is like the third uh, Stephen King project Josh Boone has been involved with. He was supposed to do The Stand. He was supposed to do... Um, a, a book called Revival. So he's apparently really into adapting Stephen King things, and but you know all the other things they haven't come to pass yet. So maybe this one will. Are those other things still in the works? It's not clear, as far as I can tell. Like uh, I feel like Revival is definitely dead at this point, but The Stand is I think just still kicking around in limbo. I have no idea what's going to happen to. It. I feel like. Now that Stephen King movies are, you know, so much bigger now than they were when the Stand movie was first announced, I'm sure they're working behind the scenes right now trying to get it to where it needs to be because they want to cash in on this, you know, the Stephen King craze before it dies down. For sure. Um, Talisman is not something I've ever read. Uh, it, it sounds more like in the realm of the Dark Tower, and that did not turn out that well. But I know everybody has a great affinity for that that book series. So uh, what, what do you – did you read The Talisman? I did a long time ago. I'm not a huge fan of You're it. Not a, uh, well, what, I'm not what, a huge fan of – sorry, Ken. What would they need to do to make this uh, a hit? Over I mean, what, what they did with Dark Tower. There's definitely a lot of good ideas in it. And, I mean, the problem with the Dark Tower movie is it, it tried to streamline a lot of the mythology. And the, the mythology in the Talisman isn't as complicated as the Dark Tower, but I feel like they need to let it, I mean, give it room to breathe, basically. I, I feel like the Dark Tower, the biggest problem with that film was the script was way too streamlined. It was way too simplified. And... With this, I feel like they have to not be afraid to let it seem bigger and more expansive because I don't I think they're worried that'll turn off average moviegoers, but I don't think it will. I think if they give it a shot, people will give it a chance or I could be wrong. Who knows? Hmm. Uh, Also in the news, we've had a lot of discussion about Rotten Tomatoes in the past uh, on the site and on this podcast. Uh, Martin Scorsese has penned an essay calling out Rotten Tomatoes, saying that they're hostile to serious filmmakers. HT, this uh, rubbed you a little the wrong way. You wrote an article for Slash Film. Tell us about it. So Martin Scorsese is the latest person to attack Rotten Tomatoes, which, as some people know, is a, an aggregator of uh, movie reviews. It compiles a bunch of movie reviews written by the top critics and places it on a score, a uh, 100 percentile score, and um, also divides it into either a rotten or fresh rating. So Martin Scorsese has come out in a, an essay for The Hollywood Reporter saying that he thinks that aggregators like Rotten Tomatoes or market research firms like CinemaScore um, have diminished the movie-going experience. He called Rotten Tomatoes um, something that has absolutely nothing to do with real film criticism. I'm going to read his quote here. They have everything to do with the movie business and absolutely nothing to do with either the creation or the intelligent viewing of film. The filmmaker is reduced to a content manufacturer and the viewer to an unadventurous consumer. Uh, So he uh, 
basically talks about how he misses when film criticism was written by passionately engaged people with actual knowledge of film history. And uh, that he thinks that Rotten Tomatoes has brought about an, an increase of people who seem to take pleasure in seeing films and filmmakers rejected, dismissed, or in some cases ripped to shreds. So I think that it's interesting. I think it's interesting that Martin Scorsese has come out against Rotten Tomatoes uh, in a similar attack, uh, but a very dissimilar opinion to the previous studio executives who have lambasted the uh, online aggregator before. So um, a couple of months ago, a New York Times piece spoke to a bunch of Hollywood executives who blamed Rotten Tomatoes for a very poor box office uh, summer season. So they blamed Rotten Tomatoes for driving audiences away from the theaters uh, and for reducing the film criticism spectrum into the sort of reductive, uh, basically thumbs up, thumbs down sort of uh, case. And um, in this case, Martin Scorsese is saying that there's too much emphasis on box office reports and Rotten Tomatoes is part of that. And that he thinks that creators should be and directors should be free to make their own ambitious uh, storytelling that doesn't abide by what audiences or what studios want. And um, this is kind of in defense of uh, when he saw Mother, which is Darren Aronofsky's newest film, and which had a, a fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, even though it had polarizing reviews, but an F on cinema score. So he was kind of reacting to that. And I, th I think that it's really funny that they're Scorsese and these executives are blaming Rotten Tomatoes for de very different reasons, but that Rotten Tomatoes has basically become this scapegoat either for audiences not wanting to see rote formulaic movies or in Scorsese's case, audiences not wanting to see um, movies that are ambitious and audacious. It's like, pick one. Um, but it, it's almost like Martin Scorsese is not writing. It, it almost seems to me that he doesn't know what Rotten Tomatoes is. <laughs> Re yeah. Reading this essay, it seems like he's taking on, uh, for a better term, us as film cr critics and film journalists, uh, saying that we we don't have as much or that film critics don't have as much knowledge these days, which might be the case. Um, I'm not going to argue against that as a whole. There's a lot more film critics these days, and I think that the knowledge behind those film critics is uh, widely varied as opposed to in the past, you know, was more knowledgeable. Um, but it's it, it seems to me that, um, I don't know, I don't see his point, because usually the more artistic uh, films are rewarded by Rotten Tomatoes, have higher scores, generally. You look at, you know, Blade Runner, it didn't do well at the box office, uh, or didn't do amazing at the box office, and that had a very high Rotten Tomatoes score, and I would consider that an auteur vision, right? Um, I mean, Chris, what do you, what do you think of, about what Martin Scorsese is saying here? Um, I don't think he's entirely wrong. I think it's more that he's reacting not so much to how Rotten Tomatoes works, but rather how people interpret Rotten Tomatoes. I feel like there are people who think Rotten Tomatoes is like the be all end all where they say, you know, they, they, they load up Rotten Tomatoes. They say, oh, this film has know a rotten symbol i'm not even going to bother to see it and I, I feel like that's what he's trying to get with this i don't know if he's being clear enough about that um i don't have a problem with rotten tomatoes personally i do have a problem with cinema score i've never really liked 
the way that site operates because that that site seems to operate based on marketing basically yeah it's basically mm -hmm. uh, it's like, expectations know. versus yeah right like cinema score is basically how the audience thought the movie was going to be and then they didn't get what they want and i feel like that is a really poor way to judge a film's quality and again i don't think these things are supposed to be interpreted that way i don't think you're supposed to look at this and immediately decide, oh, this movie is worthless. But I do feel like some people do do that. They just basically use it as, you know, the be all end all when really you're supposed to use it as just like part of, part of the conversation, not like the final word. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about Rotten Tomatoes is that it does feature and link to the full reviews by these film critics. So these film critics are giving out insightful and thoughtful film reviews but a lot of people like chris said just kind of look at the rotten tomatoes score um but this is a debate i think that's been going on ever since uh ebert and um siskel and ebert introduced the thumbs up thumbs down system it's kind of like this ongoing uh animosity between the filmmakers and the critics but it's a it's a necessary evil i guess you would say um to have that Dis that discussion between them. Yeah, and it, it should be probably mentioned, not that, I'm sure probably everybody out there listening to this knows this, but Rotten Tomatoes is not averaging the score of all these reviews. What they're doing is, if a review is above, I think it's 65%, it's considered fresh, and if it's below that, it's considered rotten. So uh, if you essentially had 100 people review a film, and 99 people gave it a 60% out of or six out of 10 and you had one person give it a seven out of 10, that movie would have a 1% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now that's like an insane, crazy, like example that doesn't happen, but it, I'm just giving you an example of like, it's not averaging the scores. Metacritic averages the scores and it generally it's, a, it's around the same area anyways. So it's not a huge deal, but I, I do agree with Chris. I think Scorsese is more angry at, how people use Rotten Tomatoes than, you know, the fact that Rotten Tomatoes exists and is a useful recommendation system. And I, I think it's very dangerous for us to discount any of things like this, like Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb. I know, like, people like to, you know, make fun of the IMDb top 250. But, uh, you know, when, when I look at a rating, uh, either Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb, and I, I can see if something if something's a 5.0 on IMDb, I know that there's a high chance I'm not going to like it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, it, 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 it's, I know it is an aggregator of a lot of opinions, but um, there, there's a reason why probably a lot of people gave that a low rating. Uh, that doesn't mean I shouldn't see it because it's a 5.0. I, I should make up my own opinion. I should see the trailer. I should use it. Should be used as one, uh, you know, point of data in my decision making process, and not the only point of data. Um, Hu, did you have any uh, final thoughts? Uh, no, I just wanted to say that I think yeah. While there is a culture of kind of, um taking the Rotten Tomatoes rating at its face level and just kind of assuming that a movie is either good or bad, depending on its fresh or rotten rating. Um, I think that, you know, there are so many movies out there. So Rotten Tomatoes is helpful in, you know, sifting out what you do and don't want to see. For sure. Um, the last bit of news. Uh, Kevin Feige is doing press this week for Thor Ragnarok 
which looks like it's going to be a monster at the box office. Um, we, we have a bunch of stuff on the site, a bunch of little quotes from Kevin. Uh, one of them I did wanted to focus, one of the more interesting ones, is Kevin wants a Marvel-only convention. Chris, what do we know? Right, so... Um... Obviously, there's the, the Star Wars celebration now, and you know Disney owns Star Wars. They own Marvel, so it seems like it there, there's a, also a D23 convention, which is a Disney convention as well. Right, which is which is like what is that like every two years? Yes. Right, so there's that now. So basically, at one time, all these things would show up at Comic Con, you know, like San Diego Comic Con or the New York Comic Con, but now they have their own little independent conventions. And so it just seemed like it would be a matter of time before Marvel makes that that shift as well. And uh, Kevin Feige was saying basically that's pretty much what he wants. He doesn't know when it will happen. He you know he doesn't have like a date in mind. But he says you know uh, I think we have enough content and enough fans and enough ideas that we could do something like that. That's that's a quote from him. So it seems like it's inevitable at this point that sooner rather than later this will happen. I mean you know obviously they're Disney is doing their own channel now their own streaming service so it just seems like rather than be a part of something why not just do it all themselves seems to be the idea behind this yeah and at comic-con each year or almost every year marvel is the you know the thing in whole age on saturday afternoon that everybody needs to see and it's their presentation is usually unmatched you know for spectacle for footage everything else um you know, even D23, which I mentioned that happens every other year, uh, you know, they have this live action panel, which is like almost going four hours long at this point. I know HT was at home this year helping us cover it. And it, it's it's a monster of a panel. Um, and it's almost like it, it makes no sense that it's like one panel. There should be, you know, a Walt Disney Studios panel. There should be a Marvel panel. There should be. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I at this point, I think. I think Kevin is right. I think we should have a Marvel convention. Why? Why not? Uh, it makes perfect sense for this brand, uh, and it seems like Disney doesn't want to have to rely on Comic Con. A lot of these studios aren't wanting to rely on Comic Con. I mean, Disney obviously started their own convention because they didn't want to rely on Comic Con and build their own brand. Uh, and I think that's the future of of that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if that actually happens or not. Um, Marvel has a lot of stuff to announce post Infinity War and Avengers Four, you know, none of which we know what is going on. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they do that at Comic Con at D twenty three or if they, you know, launch their own separate event. Um, I'm sure you know they, it would sell out within a day if they did. Um, but let's move on to the mailbag, guys. Uh, th- since our Spoiler discussions. We've gotten a ton of emails uh, at peter at slashfilm.com uh, for the mailbag, responding to our, our um, talk on spoilers. And it's about mixed, to be honest with you. Half of them are kind of uh, in support of us and understand like understanding that you know spoilers don't ruin a movie experience. And then the other are of the unsullied variety that you know, want to stick up for going into a movie with as least amount of information known possible. Uh, I wanted to read a few of them for you, and we we could react to each of these individually. Uh, Sterling from Dallas writes in, I vehemently disagree and was hoping someone from the Jeff Kanata camp, Jeff is a, has 
created the term Unsullied going into the movie without seeing any trailers or any marketing, uh, would join and be the voice of reason. Yes, a great movie will be a, will be great regardless, but avoiding spoilers is about the experience. Uh, Sterling then goes on to talk about a, uh, a spoiler moment in the movie It, which I'm not going to spoil for you guys because I respect you guys. Uh and he basically says that knowing that moment in advance wouldn't have would have wouldn't have ruined the movie but it would have changed how i felt while watching it yes that was just a moment but how many moments does it take for a good movie to turn great um i'll 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 answer quickly and i'll throw it to you guys uh Moment he's talking about happens in the first ten minutes. Happens has something to do with the kid and the sewer. I'll say that much. Uh, I would say this that even if I knew that moment was coming, if I read the book, which I'm sure Chris has, uh, <laughs> yes. uh, the, the the execution and how that moment plays out and the drama and the the tone and the that's why I go to movies. It's not for that moment, for that surprise. The surprise is a gimmick that will last five. You know. Not even a second. Do you know what I mean? It's it's the the way it is portrayed in my mind. Um, do you guys have any any thoughts on this? Can how many moments does it take for a good movie to turn great? That's an interesting question. Um, I do want to clarify before I talk about it that I have nothing against going into a movie clean or unsullied. And I just wanted to say that it, my my passion is more against spoiler culture itself and how we put too much stock in it. But I respect people who want to go into a movie without seeing anything. And there are moments when I want to wish I had not known anything of a movie going into it. Um yeah, I, I, I don't I, think I don't think any of us here like spoilers, right? Yeah. Like Chris, you don't like spoilers. No, I don't like or dislike them. If I, you know, if I stumble upon a spoiler, I'm not furious, but it doesn't like ruin my day either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I want to make that clear before you go on, HD. I don't think any of us are supporting spoilers. I think we just don't think that they, you know, ruin the experience in a, a huge way. And I also, uh, before you go on, I want to say that I. I vehemently believe that going in unsullied is a worse experience than going in with knowledge of some kind. But, uh, okay, go on. Yeah, um, I basically agree with you for the most part, Peter. I think that, you know, the buildup and the suspense of that scene and it really um, is what makes that moment more than not knowing what's going to happen because there are so many movies now that are predictable or that are that feature um, story moments or beats that we know ha- have happened before or we've seen happen before, but that doesn't make a movie less good. Um, sometimes a twist, a movie hinges around a twist, and if that twist is built up well and plays off well, then the movie will still be good. If, I hope that answer the question, answers the question. Chris, do you have any additional thoughts on that one? I mean, yeah, I, I pretty much agree. I mean, the way I look at it is the moment itself isn't what makes the movie really great. I think it's how the moment works in the context of the film. So if if a trailer gives away a really cool scene, I feel like that scene 
isn't the same like excised from the film as it is when you're watching it in the full film. Like, I mean, like, you know, a lot of times when trailers show scenes, it's not like beat for beat how they even happen in the movie. They're often trimmed down a little bit. They're different angles. Like I remember when the dark Knight came out, there was a lot of stuff in that trailer that wasn't even in the movie the same exact way. It was like different shots, different angles. So I feel like, I honestly don't think it matters that much that if a trailer gives something, gives a, a great moment away, because I feel like that great moment works much better when you're actually watching the full film. It, it, you know, I, I want to give an example because I feel like example is needed here. Uh, Force Awakens, which I, I believe everybody's seen, so I'm going to spoil it now. Uh, at the end, you know, there's a lightsaber in the snow and it wiggles and it goes not to Finn, but it goes into Rey's hand. We've already seen her use Jedi mind trick so we kind of know she has powers and she holds the lightsaber and is like you know it, the emotion that is going through her body you know it brought tears to my eyes in 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 the theater and uh it's that moment is something uh not necessarily that i knew was coming but i, I knew that she was going to be the jedi i knew that, that it was a fake out that finn was jedi going in and that did not spoil that experience at all that moment still brought me in my eyes to water do you know what i mean and it's the execution of that moment the music from john williams the way jj abrams played it off the the you know the blue glow in that snow set. I don't know. I I, I just think it's the execution that d- did it for me, not the the moment. The moment is, you know, just a thing, and it's a, it's a momentary surprise, which I don't think is anything. But uh, let's move on to Lo- uh, Logan in Seattle writes in, and I should say that all these emails have been heavily excerpted uh, because they're very long, and we can't read the whole emails on the show. So I apologize. Logan in rea- uh, in Seattle writes in. I used to think less was more, not ignoring trailers completely, but not watching more than one for a film. Now I see what you meant by enjoying the lead up as part of the journey to a film instead as of a separate experience. Uh, oh, I should say that Logan for the first, you know, gave in and watched the last Jedi trailer that just came out. Uh, and this is his experience on that. Uh, he says, uh, I'm not a Star Wars super fan, but I love the buzz of the industry uh, of film so much that I can't help get su- but sucked in, get yeah, help but get sucked into the vortex su- surrounding something as massive of, as this film. So last night I watched the trailer multiple times and listened to your emergency coverage of it. Now I understand. Now I too am fully invested in in the theories and the news that may come over the coming months. Um, so this is a guy that is reacting in, uh, in, in a positive way to, to uh, our, our discussion. I'm not sure if there's any questions here. Do either of you have any thoughts on, on uh, Logan's revelation that, uh, you know, that the ride of anticipation in a movie can, can be an experience just in itself, just like seeing a movie? Yeah, I definitely think that hype really uh, is a huge facet of my experience for a film. Sometimes that can harm the film make film going experience, especially if your expectations are too high or you've just been too inundated with so many um, trailers or previews and things. But I think with Star Wars, The Last Jedi, they've 
Disney has done just the right amount of uh, footage and previews to make us excited for this film. And I I get, you know, wrapped up in the theories and wrapped up in the uh, excitement about seeing new characters and um, knowing a little bit about them before going in to see the movie. Because I do think sometimes that lends to a fuller experience of a film. Like, if you go in without knowing anything of a film, you might have a good first experience. But then if you see something in a Star Wars movie, for example, where they flesh out so many little details, um, you can just be like, you can see that moment and be like, oh, I know about this. And it makes it a much more um, faceted, multifaceted uh, viewing experience. Um. Let's get on to the, the, the third and, and final email here. This is from Stephen from San Francisco who writes in, as you've discussed in the modern uh, info era, it is hard to stay queen, quote unquote, as Ryan Johnson states. Um, oh, it, it should be mentioned that, you know, Ryan Johnson sent out this tweet. Uh, someone asked him if they should watch the trailer. And this was like a day or two before. And he said i forget i don't have the the tweet in front of me but he basically said it was a it's it's, it's a great trailer uh but if you want to go in absolutely clean stay away right um and i think essentially what he's saying there a lot of people misconstrued this and reported it wrong that like ryan johnson says if you don't want to be spoiled stay away from the trailer uh but that's not what he said he actually responded to those tweets he he basically said uh if you don't want to see any more footage don't watch the new footage <laughs> I mean, uh, th- that's essentially what he said. Uh, but okay, so uh, this guy, Stephen from San Francisco, didn't want to wa- watch the footage, but uh, he did. And he said he admits, quote, two minutes later, and I find myself feeling anxious slash frustrated that maybe I had seen too much. Do you think the last Jedi trailer showed too much of the story progression, uh, especially with the rave or Snoke scene? And Kylo reaching out for racing. Do you think when something this large goes out, it is impossible to say, quote unquote, clean in a world where even my grandma calls to ask me if I've seen it? Am I crazy for even feeling like this? Um, personally, I would say yes, because uh, <laughs> me, I, I would uh, I, I would say that um, we talked about this the other day on the podcast that. Disney met with Ryan Johnson and the producer and before they even shot the movie decided what they were going to cons- keep out of the marketing completely, what they considered, you know, no fly zones, uh, what they consider, you know, whatever. So what you're seeing here is very calculated. What you're being shown is very calculated. And I think if you if you listen to our emergency podcast, I won't get into it here, but even what you saw, I think, was cut in a uh, – you know, I, I, the word deceptive comes to mind way, <laughs> but like, you know, you're hearing voiceover over s- certain things that are, you're connecting the two through editing. And I don't think those two things are as that connected, if that makes sense. I think we're actually seeing a lot of that first uh, maybe 20 minutes of the film, too. Now, you mentioned Ray and Snoke and uh, the end scene. Maybe those aren't the first 20 minutes, but I think they're completely out of context. They're there to get you interested uh you know we talked about it for 40 minutes i talked about it for 40 minutes with brad on the emergency podcast but at the end of the discussion i kind of came to the realization that this trailer really didn't tell us anything 
you know, it showed us character moments, but I didn't really learn anything. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked that someone would watch this trailer and think that it spoiled something for them. What, what, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I, I um, like you were saying, there's a lot of misdirection in this trailer. Uh, just one example that that whole ending where Kylo Ren extends his hands to Ray, I'm like 99.9% sure those scenes aren't even really related because if you look at the background of where she's standing and it cuts to the background behind where he's standing, they look completely different. And so I would not be surprised if those scenes really have like nothing to do with each other, but they were just put in the trailer to just create that shocking moment. And I mean, I could be wrong, obviously, but you know, a lifetime of watching movie trailers and understanding how they're cut has taught me that, you can't really believe what the trailer is is selling you because trailers they're not you need to realize that trailers aren't always cut for you specifically they're cut for a huge audience the biggest audience possible and to do that to appeal to the largest possible audience they they water trailers down they they simplify them they don't give you everything all the complexities in other words so just because you see it in the trailer doesn't mean it's going to happen in the movie that way. So that's that's my yeah. take on it. And actually, one one last thing before I throw it to HT. Uh, think about if this was presented in the movie like it is presented in the trailer. You know, uh, Ray has been turned down by Luke training, and she she doesn't know where to go, and she you know goes to Kylo Ren. Now you're watching it in the movie. If that if that's how it happens in the movie, and you know she's going to Kylo Ren, it's not a surprise that she kind of asks him for help, right? Um, because you see the buildup to that. In the trailer, it can be presented as a surprise because, you know, we don't know that, that who she's talking to is going to be Kylo Ren at the end in that reveal shot. So it, it's presented in a completely different way where you were never going to have that experience in the movie because you were going to know who was she was talking to from the beginning. Um, and it should also be mentioned that we don't know Ray's reaction to that hand. If that is, if you were wrong, Chris, and the moment is presented like that in the movie, we don't know if, you know, she's going to accept that. We don't, we still don't know. Uh, so I think there is, it's not really spoiling much there. HC, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with both of you for the most part. I, regarding that Kylo Ren and Ray scene, I'm in the camp of thinking that's not actually how it goes down i think they're in two separate scenes but that's a fun theory that we can throw into the whole lead up to the journey um uh experience so i i think that a lot of trailers such as these have a lot of misdirects and red herrings to get you excited for a movie and get you to go see it and put your buttons butts in the theaters but i don't think that it shows exactly what we'll see as the final product uh I know we're running long. The one last thing he mentioned here with a big movie like this, uh, is it possible to go in clean when, you know, your grandmother is asking you if you saw the trailer? And I think uh, in my viewpoint, why would you want to go in clean? Why why wouldn't you want to experience this as a cultural phenomenon the same way that everybody else experienced it? And when you come out of the theater, you know, have the same uh, expectations going in and, you know, having – 
kind of a similar that's why I go I mean that's one of the reasons why I go to the movie theater is to experience something with a larger crowd and you know that's one reason why I you know would rather that than sitting at home and experiencing things by myself uh what do, what do you guys think is is it possible in these days to avoid spoilers for a film or not spoilers but marketing for a film as big as Star Wars I mean probably not uh, unless you don't have internet or cut off entirely from the world, uh, you will probably be exposed to it in some way. There's just, you know, billboards and marketing everywhere. You can't avoid it if you watch TV or if you're on the, your computer. So um, I think that true, clean, unsolid experience is a pipe dream. Yeah, I, I have to imagine that anybody that went into The Force Awakens Queen saw a gif or image screenshot of every single shot from the trailer in their twitter feeds or in their facebook feeds before they actually saw the movie so they actually experienced the trailer in a poorer quality than if they had seen it you know as intended uh chris any any last thoughts on this yeah i don't think it's possible to go in clean like that completely clean i also feel like it can backfire i mean i've used this example before but the the Blade Runner 2049 trailers were very vague and very cryptic. They didn't give anything away and no one went and saw that movie. So I feel like if those trailers had done a better job of selling the movie, it might've done better at the box office. So I don't think people really necessarily want that completely clean experience. They may say they want it. I don't think they really do. Okay. I, this is the end of our spoiler discussion, even though I'm sure we'll get more emails and this will come up again because it just is one of those things. But, uh, uh, Chris, where can we find more of your work online? Uh, I'm on slash film. I'm on Twitter at C evangelista four thirteen. HT. Where can we find you? You can find me at slash film.com. I'm on Twitter at H and and I have a podcast, the millennial Falcon podcast on iTunes. You can find all the stories we talked here on SlashFilm.com. You can find me at SlashFilm on Twitter. Uh, you can find this podcast published every weekday almost on <laughs> iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Please go to iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. That helps us out quite a bit. Share the love. Tell your friends. Uh, we've been getting lots of emails from you guys telling us how much uh, you love the show and uh, how we are now part of your like commute or part of your, you, you know, and it, it, uh, it makes all, I, I shared these emails with the whole team. It makes us all feel really well, uh, really good. Uh, I want to thank you for that. And thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.